0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. If you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to resume our study where we have been, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to be starting at verse 5, 2 Corinthians eleven five. as you're finding your way there, if you'll stand with me as we read God's word together. Paul continues his letter to the the believers, the gathering, the congregation at Corinth, and he says, "'For I consider myself not in the least inferior "'to the most eminent apostles. "'But even if I am unskilled in speech, "'yet I am not so in knowledge. "'In fact, in every way we have made this evident "'to you all in all things. "'Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself?' so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so." As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles." Deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan himself dis- or disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. You may be seated. So last Sunday, as we studied our way through this, the first four verses of chapter 11, our focus was on the phrase appearing in verse three where it says the simplicity and pure purity of devotion to Christ. We talked about that simple and pure devotion to Christ. We discussed our need to return to that and what it means to seek and follow Jesus. And there I quoted Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. I read it again to you from the Good News Bible, which I, I, I have a little love for. It says, this is all I have learnt. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. And we talked about that. And that is the truth. God made his word, his, an understanding of who he is, what he requires of us, very simple, but we make it very complicated, don't we? And we can get way out in the weeds about what God has said and what he desires from us because of our own desires, what we want out of this life or what we think is right. And God says, but I made it simple, simple enough for a child to understand. And the challenge for the believers in Corinth and for you and me today is to take our eyes off the things of this world and fix them firmly upon the truth and the character of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. But again, we live in a world that is increasingly more opposed to God and His Word and offers every shining and enticing thing and person to persuade us to abandon the truth of God and embrace instead a lie. And that's true for all of us. To adopt a lie that begins in Satan's lie to Adam and Eve, and that lie is that God is not enough. God's ways, his plan, his commands are not enough to give us joy, to give us happiness, to give us purpose in life. The lie is that God is not enough. His path of salvation is too simple, and we will never measure up. And, that, and part of that is true. We will never measure up except through Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? That he says, listen, if you come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. You'll find strength through the power of my Holy Spirit indwelling you to do these things. Jesus' words in John 10.10 stand in stark contrast to this lie, and this is what he says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So as you think about the passage this morning, think about what Paul is saying about those so-called apostles. The lie. The lie is that that's only going to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give him life. Not just, I love this phrase because an abundant life, it's a ridiculously amazing life that defies understanding in this world. And again, it makes me think of the nation Israel. Visiting there, people often have asked, Wow, don't you feel unsafe when you go to Israel? You know, with all the wars and rumors of wars and everything that's going on. And strangely enough, I can tell you from personal experience on more than one occasion that I felt more safe there. Now, I, don't, I can't explain that other than to say that God is doing something in and through his people. and he does it in and through us, his children. And he wants us to know peace in the midst of chaos. And so we continue to pray for them. Jesus said he came to offer himself as a sacrifice in our place and accept the sentence of death that was upon each one of us. Having paid the penalty, And served as our example, he then commands us to live in such a way to reflect the motivations of his heart to all people, and especially fellow believers. And Paul contrasts this message with the life and message of those he calls the false apostles who are cunning and clever, their deceptive words and self-promoting actions really speak what they really believe. And so he continues his appeal now to the children he loves, those believers, the gathering of the church there in Corinth. And he says in verse five, for I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. We touched on this briefly last week. Paul used this phrase as a sarcastic statement to refer to the teachers who've infiltrated the church the deceivers, the believers, and also to the believers who have allowed this to happen, to, for them to enter into the assembly of the church. Our 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 through 10, when comparing himself to the 11, the apostles who were there at the beginning, minus Judas, those who walked with Jesus, he said this, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God with me. Again, he's pointing us back to the fact that all these things that have been done in and through his life is by the power of God's spirit dwelling within him. So in his foolish boasting, Paul still maintains a godly attitude of humility. And this too was in opposition or the opposite of what was being demonstrated by these proud teachers that had come to the church. And from this point forward, Paul will do his best to now equip the saints, the believers, with the discernment necessary for growing and maintaining a healthy faith and a healthy church. Verse 6, he says, But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Now, this is similar to what he said to the believers in Ephesus. Um, Paul is saying he withheld no good thing from them. This is from Acts 20 uh, 18. It says, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Again, he's speaking to the believers as he's preparing to depart Ephesus. How I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you everything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. I solemnly testify and solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." He's saying, "I held nothing from them, and I'm really not holding anything back from you." Which brings us to that first point. A discerning disciple seeks and shares the whole truth. No matter what it cost us, no matter how it conflicts with our own heart. In our study of First and Second Corinthians, Paul's lackluster public speaking abilities have been mentioned several times. This is kind of the common joke amongst the believers. Yeah, like we love reading his letters, but man, when he's here in person, it's going, right? It's a little bit of a yawner. And this was a significant criticism by these kind of extra special super apostles he sarcastically speaks of. Yet even in this, Paul uses his readily recognized weakness to highlight the heart of God behind his simple and pure devotion to Jesus. I can imagine that as the Lord looks down from heaven today, this morning, upon many religious gatherings, and yes, I use that very intentionally, that phrase, that call themselves churches he listens with great sorrow and perhaps even anger to the voice of the many teachers giving people what's mentioned in First or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. And there he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That means sound biblical teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they want their hearts to be entertained or encouraged They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And is that not what's happening today? You will get every flavor of the month when people abandon the simplicity and purity of God's word. In the book of acts after paul leaves thessalonica and begins teaching in the city of berea he actually finds people there willing to listen to the gospel to this message a teaching from the bible the old testament and they were described by paul in chapter 17 verses 11 as more noble-minded than the thessalonians he says for they received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether if these things were so. It, as he taught them, they didn't just like, oh, that sounds amazing, that kind of like tickles my ear, warms my heart, makes me feel good about myself. No, does this line up with the word of God? That's what they were doing. <coughs> as followers of Jesus, you and I should be these kind of people, examining everything we hear from any teacher, myself included, any preacher, who teaches the word of God. I remember the first men's retreat I attended with Calvary Chapel. A CCSE and a few other Calvary Chapels had gathered together for a men's retreat. We're all pretty small churches at that time. I think there was maybe 15, 20 guys from Calvary Chapel. Back then it was called Calvary Chapel North Clackamas. And we met in an old retreat center off of River Road there in Milwaukee. Some of you may be familiar if you've lived here for a long time. And that first night, one of the like, prominent pastors from the Calvary Chapel movement, he spoke first. And at the end of that, I turned to like, one of the older believers, one of the more mature guys there, and I said, man, that would be a tough act to follow, and to which he replied with just like real sincere gentleness to me as a young believer. He said, we should be able to receive from anyone if it is the truth of God's word. It was a, it was a gentle rebuke. He's like, whoa, hold on. I mean, you, you missed the whole point. You were so captivated perhaps by the wonderful analogies and stories as that were a part of his message and, and, the, and the humor just the presentation of it, that you missed the message. And that's easy for us to do, isn't it? So easy to get lost in the method and lose the message. This was happening because I was not examining, I wasn't searching or investigating the words being spoken and comparing them to the word. No, I was content to be entertained. And this is our culture today too often, isn't it? And I, and I count myself, like sometimes I just want to be entertained. A discerning disciple seeks the whole truth and wants to know the sweet and bitter of it. Because there are things in the Bible, there are things in God's word that are not always easy to swallow. Yes? I mean, they are challenging. They poke holes in me on a regular basis. And this is one of the reasons why Calvary Chapel, as a movement, emphasizes expository preaching, and we are not the only church that does it, so hear me on that. It's Not like we've got everything nailed down here. So what is expository preaching? This is Alistair Bega, a great Scottish preacher. This is this is his definition. He says, expository preaching, the systematic consecutive exposition of the scripture, not only begins with God and his glory, but also makes pastors students of the Bible. The systematic consecutive exposition, explaining. It is simply taking a book of the Bible and teaching from beginning to end and expositing or explaining what the Holy Spirit intended for us to hear and then applying it to our lives. It's that simple. When done well, it leaves no truth hidden or ignored under the rock of convenience or offense. But it must be done with transparency, conviction, and passion, Uh, Alistair Begg also said this, it's a bit humorous, but also sad and true, one of the reasons for the disinterest in expository preaching is surely that so many attempts at it prove lifeless, dull, and even thoroughly boring. I never cease to be amazed by the ingenuity of those who are capable of taking the powerful, life-changing text of Scripture and communicating it with all the passion of someone reading aloud from the Yellow Pages. (laughs) Like, we laugh because we've all been in there, right? We've heard someone teach, like, man, I mean, this is like biblical, this is sound, but I'm going to take a nap, <laughs> right? The discerning disciple seeks and shares the whole truth. Verse seven, Paul continues, and he said, I didn't, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? so that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge. Brings us to our second point. A discerning disciple seeks godly humility. Some of these are repetitious. I hope you're noticing that. Why is that? Because we forget stuff. Why do we repeat instructions to our children? Because they forget stuff. And God is saying, well, you're my kids and I know you tend to forget things. To the unbelieving Greek or Gentile mind, a charismatic or engaging public speaker could and should demand recognition for their work and payment in kind. If you didn't, it was assumed you were not convinced of your own message and in fact you didn't care about the people you were ministering to. That's the cultural context. And this led to Bible teachers entering the Corinthian church with arrogance, pride, more concerned, as I said, with the method of preaching than the message. And they demanded financial support rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to move God's people. Again, does this sound familiar in our culture today? And it persists, yes, it persists to this day. It's a stain on the name of Jesus and upon Jesus's church. This, this kind of idiocy is apparent in this quote from, from a modern-day super apostle from the prosperity gospel movement. These are his, this is a quote. God made animals and didn't have the foggiest idea what they were. You want me to prove it to you? Turn to the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. You think I'm joking? I'll show you something right now. Can you hear the arrogance and pride mixed with a whole lot of ignorance. As if God didn't know something. All throughout the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, what do we learn about who God is? He is omniscient. That means he knows everything, past, present, and future. On its face, this statement is grotesque the egotistical condescending gall of that individual is only overshadowed by their absolute heretical ignorance. This is the warning from the Lord through Paul to Timothy as a disciple and a young pastor at Ephesus. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and uh, constant friction among people uh, who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, specifically financial gain." As a disciple of Christ, we must be people who look for and exemplify the humble nature of Jesus, who even refused to speak or act on his own authority while he walked this earth. There's two passages I would present. There's many others, but John 12, 49 and John 14, 31, he says, for I did not speak, this is Jesus speaking, of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And then, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me, get up, let's go from here. What he said and what he did were only in response to the Father. God the Father saying, this is what I want. And that is an act of humility, And that's our example. And he has given us an entire book to help us sort out what that might look like. He's given us other believers more mature than ourselves. I think of, of that man sitting there at that um, men's retreat that can help us be redirected when we get off track. And this is because a discerning disciple seeks godly humility. And this godly humility then is a guard against greed and reliance upon the things of this world. Look at verse 8. He said, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and when I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Point number three, a discerning disciple recognizes burdens. As Paul communicates his love for the believers, he wants them to understand that as a loving spiritual father, he did not want to place unnecessary burdens on his children to accomplish this, he did not demand financial assistance as others were doing. Now, in Matthew 10:10, Jesus provides direction for the disciples and tells them, Hey, "A workman is worthy of his support." In First Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25:4, and also Jesus when he says. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. So based on this, on the truth of the written word, the very words of Jesus himself, Paul has every right to expect support. He is preaching the gospel, he is teaching, he is traveling for the purpose of letting people know about the grace and mercy of God that they might be saved from the coming wrath. And he should he, he has the right to expect support from those churches, those gatherings of believers that he ministers to. however, since he desired to preach and teach and not be a burden, he did not place that burden on them, knowing it might actually slow the work of the gospel perhaps, that they might find offense from it. In fact, he labored with his own hands. As a tent maker, again, for many of you that have read the scriptures, you know this. When he first came to Corinth, Acts chapter 18, he labored with his own hands in an effort that he might offer the truth of life to everyone without cost. To drive home the point, even when he needed assistance, beyond his own abilities, he didn't request it from them. And instead he says he robbed other churches, that being the Macedonian church. One of the things I love about the language used in the Bible, in, this, in particular the Greek language in the New Testament, is its use of word pictures. We don't always have that in our English language, But the word rob or robbed carries the idea to sack, to strip off, or to pillage. So if you're thinking in the historical times, after a battle, the victorious soldiers would walk through the battlefield or through the conquered city, and they would take any valuables that they could find. In fact, they would even go so far as to strip the soldiers of anything valuable, weapons or otherwise. So this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the congregation at Corinth and those puffed up apostles, so-called apostles. He says, to your shame, I did not request assistance from you, as was my right and your responsibility. Rather, the Macedonian church graciously provided for my needs and yours. To the extent that they all became all the poorer and yourselves richer, it was like I stripped them of their valuables to care for you. They willingly gave them." He's laying a foundation and he's eradicating the reason for their boasting, these false teachers. Why? He saw the burdens of the culture, and the hurdles that would come with sharing the truth of the gospel with them, and he wanted to make the start of their journey of faith as easy and as simple as possible, like a good father, like a good father would do for his children as they face the burdens in life. He recognized their burdens, and he chose a different course for himself and others to highlight what? The grace of God. And this, as he writes this now, it really provokes even more emotion in Paul as he continues in verse 10 and he says, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Like wherever I go. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Our fourth point, a discerning disciple knows God's love. The liars and deceivers at Corinth tried to paint a picture of Paul as one who did not love his children because he did not care enough to hold them to the legalistic view of Scripture. Hear that again. He wanted to hold them to the legalistic view of Scripture. They did. While they may have, as these false apostles, while they may have measured up to the letter of the law, they were in fact missing the heart of the law, which is love. And Paul addressed this in his first letter in chapter 13, in 1 Corinthians 13, commonly known as the love chapter. In that passage, we understand that we can do all kinds of really good things, amazing things, even sacrificial things. Yet if we fail to do them from a humble, grateful, and thankful heart towards God out of a motivation to express our love for Him, they will fail to reflect true biblical love, agape, agape love. And that kind of love compels Paul. It's this kind of love that compels Paul to love them not by, bur- or by not burdening them. He knew the lengths, as he thinks and he writes these things, he knows the lengths to which he had gone in sin and even persecuting the church. At the very beginning, many of us might be familiar with the beginnings of Acts, the first martyr, Stephen, where he gave approval to the stoning of Stephen in the streets. When he comes to... When he comes to that place of faith as he's on his way, Acts chapter nine, on his way to Damascus, and the Lord appears to him and commissions him, and then God sends another disciple, Ananias, and says, go and to speak to Paul and tell him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knows from where he came and what he had done, and it's his love for them his desire for them to know the truth and to look beyond his own failures because he had found freedom. It's with the same passion and love that he looks at them and he says, I want to love you without expectation. Because he's forgiven much, he loves much because a discerning disciple knows God's love. Why is there such passion in Paul's words outside of this for the rest of our chapter now, 12 through 15, if you'll read with me? But what I am doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. If you can imagine, it's almost as Paul, he's like shouting this as he writes this or as his scribe writes it for him, right? He's he's just shouting these words like in frustration and anger and passionate love. I'm boasting about my sacrifices for you. So those boasting liars, those fakes, those deceivers will will have no opportunity, no occasion to align my character and the character of Jesus Christ. I'm going to chop off, I'm going to cut out, I'm going to remove the infection from the wound in you, the body of Christ, so that there will be no future occasion for it to return. I love, again, just the the word imagery, this whole idea of cutting off. This carries it with it the same idea in in the Gospel of John when Jesus is talking about uh, the branches, we are the vine, we are the branches, and any branch that does not bear fruit, he does what? He removes, he cuts off. Why? Because it's not producing fruit and it's sucking life from the rest of the vine. And this is what Paul is saying. He's like, I can't allow it to remain because it'll just suck the life out of you. I have such a great love for you. I can't bear for you to be deceived. He's trying to tell them a discerning disciple sees through disguises. And we live in a world full of disguises, don't we? He gets really bold here. He, he equates the fake apostles with Satan and his minions. He, he's, he's saying, these guys are servants of Satan. Verse 15, therefore, it is not surprising if his servants, speaking of Satan, if his servants also disguise themselves. And he warns them to be aware of the schemes and disguises of the enemy. Again, I already read that passage to you from Timothy. We live in a world, in an increasing presence of lies being spread regarding the truth of God's word and the kindness of God and what that looks like. We have entire gatherings They call themselves churches that ignore the word of God and what it says and try to make it say something that it does not say. And a discerning disciple should recognize and see through the disguises that the enemy is trying to use. Today, you and I are called to be discerning, to look carefully at God's word and discover the whole truth and be willing to share it. We are to look for the hallmarks of humility in our lives and the lives of those who lead us. We should be disciples who are quick to recognize the burden of others and actually do something about it. To be quick to make sacrifices so that they could find rest. And all of this should be done with and from the love Jesus demonstrated towards you and I. because he who is forgiven much, loves much. We should be demonstrating towards others his grace and mercy, the act of love that he made on the cross. When we are daily surrendering, in simple and pure devotion to him, the power of his spirit is magnified. And we see more clearly than as he sees. We see the brokenness of people's lives. We see when they're looking for hope and peace and answers and the truth, and we not only see it, but we, it motivates us to do something with that knowledge. It's a guard and protection on us because we live in perilous times. Listen again, If you know nothing about the news and you only knew about Israel, can you not see the evil that is taking place? And God says, open your eyes. Let me open your eyes so that you might see the truth. We can recognize what Jesus and Paul call the savage or ravenous wolves that will attempt to devour the Lord's sheep. Matthew 7, Acts chapter 20. Because they are out there. The enemy, he is like a roaring lion, right? His servants are like ravenous, savage wolves. And we should be about protecting one another. And that protection sometimes is hard. Sometimes it is a slight rebuke. that says this is the truth and we ought to live by it. We ought to follow it. It's going to cost us something. The question is is not if those ravenous savage wolves will come, it is only when. Do we believe the Bible? Not a rhetorical question. (laughs) Do we believe the Bible? Since we believe the Bible and he tells us that perilous times are coming and may be at our very doorstep, should we not then be prepared? And he says we should be discerning disciples who seek and share the whole truth. A discerning disciple seeking godly humility, a discerning disciple recognizing burdens, a discerning disciple knowing God's love, and a discerning disciple seeing through the disguises. This is what he would challenge us to do, to put into practice. If you love me, you will obey me, obey my commandments. And this is a glorious thing. This is not burdensome. He says, my word is not burdensome, amen? It's not like it's a big weight on us because he says, hey, I want you to go do all this stuff you know, and you got to kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it on your own strength. He says, no, I will give my Holy Spirit to you so that you will be discerning, you will be humble, you will be loving, you will be patient, you will see the truth, speak the truth and stand against those would do otherwise. Amen? God, we come to you this morning. I pray, myself included, Lord, that we would approach you with humility of heart and mind, knowing that you are the sovereign God who knows all things, sees all things, and is moving even when we think you're not moving behind the scenes. And it's your desire that your church, the people called by your name, not not this building, not even just this gathering, but every believer around the world called by your name, Lord, that we would be discerning people so that we would know how and when to rightly reflect your mercy your grace, patience, kindness, compassion, and do it in such a way that it would lead others into a relationship with you, which is what you've desired from the foundations of the world. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.